this week we're in Ephesians 3, uh, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Pray with me. God, we, uh, we ask you today, Lord, we ask you to, to come, your Holy Spirit, come in this place. God, we ask that the God of angel armies send his angels, the armies, to surround this place, God. Protect this place. Protect us as people. God, I pray that your word would be loud and clear, that nothing else would stand. We just sang a song that said, you have no rival, you have no equal. So God, we're asking you today that you would set aside and be so prominent that all the lesser rivals would fall down. God, at your name, we know that people just seeing the sight of your presence fall down on the ground because of the power that is you and your name. And so God, today, everything else that doesn't measure up Let it fall aside. God, help us to hear a word from the Lord because there is no greater privilege, there is no greater blessing than to know you and to hear what you have to say. God, we love you and pray in your name. Amen. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Gateway Church. Glad you're here. Man, that's a good-looking crew over there, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We We had a fun time last night, you know, TPX retreat, our student retreat out there in the, uh, out there on the church property and, and we had a tent. So last night about six o'clock at night, do you remember what happened about six o'clock last night? The winds blew like God made his power and majesty known, um, by the winds blowing and the absolute bath that everybody took because the tent was like flopping in the wind and everybody was like getting worried about it. But you know what? They're conquerors, they're overcomers. They made it the 50 feet to the church office and absolutely drenched. I mean, like drenched. Like, I'm not joking. I, my whole back was so wet that I, I swear I got thrown into a pool and I only got 50 feet. It was that, the rain was coming down that hard, but it was a beautiful thing. It was awesome. 
to watch them persevere, to watch them not be afraid of the green clouds and skies that could be a tornado, right? Yeah, because we trusted that God had a bigger picture. Um, so we're glad. Anybody got something you want to say? Good time this weekend? Yeah? Yeah? You're lame. You're lame. Wake up. Wake up. I mean, come on. Come on. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Thank you for coming. Um, this We're going to continue on. We've been walking through Ephesians. Ephesians is a book in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's a letter that this guy named Apostle Paul wrote to this church, a church in Ephesus. And, uh, and so what he wrote, he wrote this letter from prison. Paul, who started this church um, with another couple, um, they started this church, and Paul was uh, sitting in prison at this point that he writes this letter. He writes this letter to them and says, uh, trying to encourage them and trying to recenter them, trying to refocus them on what matters. And so this letter was for the church in Ephesus, but this letter is also for you. It's all for, also for Gateway Church. It is for us. So that's why we're reading through it, because we can find encouragement. We can listen to what God has to say to us, because he's, he's giving a message to us through this letter. Um, we've been heavy on the gospel the first several weeks of this. And the gospel is what? I hope, I hope that out of all the weeks now, you're getting to a point where you go, when somebody asks you, hey, what's the gospel? And the gospel means what? Good news, right on. The gospel means good news. And so in that, what's the good news? The good news. You know, we've hit it like multiple ways, multiple ways. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and did something we could not. Remember I said back when that while we were choking my buddy Pat over there, right there in that Under Armour hat. Well, Pat, remember I was telling the story about Pat choking on a French fry, a McDonald's French fry after a game. You know, and, and while we were choking, while Pat was choking, it took somebody to come named Johnny Ruth and, and do the Heimlich maneuver on him to dislodge that because Pat couldn't get it out. Okay. And that's ultimately what happened in us that while we were choking on our sin, Jesus Christ came and intervened. What we could not do, what that, that, that sin that we could not get rid of so that we could breathe and live. Jesus Christ came to do it for us. He did the Heimlich maneuver on us. Actually, what he did is he went to the cross and he died for us so that we could live, okay? And that's ultimately the good news. The good news is that, you know what? God's not counting our sins against us. Is that good news? Yes. All of us who are sinners, right? I am one, right? I have sinned many times. How many else? How many others have sinned like multiple times, right, right? Okay, so the good news is this. God, the one that we're all terrified of, right? The one that growing up we're all terrified of, that judge that's gonna slam his hammer down and say you're guilty. It says this, that in Christ, in Jesus Christ, because he paid the penalty for your sin, he's not counting your sin against you anymore. None of it. Past, present, and future. You know what that means? That means that on the cross, he paid the price for everything you've done in the past, everything you're currently doing now, and the things that you're going to screw up in the future. And it's not just little mistakes. Let's, let's be honest about it. It's called sin. Okay? We've, we, we tried to like make it more digestible by calling it a mistake. It's sin. 
It's you going your own way. It's you separating from God. That's what it is. We're not going to just call it a mistake. So in that, what the deal is, is this beautiful thing is that Jesus paid that price. That's the gospel. And that the good news is, is that God isn't counting that against me anymore. God's not counting all my sin against me anymore. That's unbelievable. I am at peace with God. That is unbelievable. Only accomplished by Jesus Christ. Only accomplished by knowing him as my Lord and Savior. That is the good news. God loves me. And when he looks at me, he sees blameless. He sees his son. That's the good news. We've been hitting that hard every single week because if you don't know that, and if you haven't learned to live in that, this is all going to be less than for you. All these stories, all these messages that you come and hear, if you don't grab hold of that, if you don't have that as the foundational cornerstone of your life, which the Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone, you have nothing to build on. Nothing. So that's why this is so important is that you have to know that because everything else builds off of that. So we've been hitting the gospel hard and, 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 it, and it's so important. And today we're gonna pick up in Ephesians 3 and I'm gonna sum up Ephesians 3 in four words, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sum up a good part of Ephesians 3 in four words. It's not about me. It's not about me. Now, now, now let that settle in. Say that to yourself. Say that to yourself out loud. It's not about me. It's not about me. Turn to your neighbor and go, it's not about you. It's not about you. It is not about you. It is not about you. And it's way easier. I found it, I find it interesting. It's way easier. And I heard the loudness of this. It's way easier to look at your neighbor and go, it's not about you. But it's harder to go, it's not about me. Because you know what? My whole life, I, I think everything's been about me, right? I mean, isn't that how we're all raised as kids? We like grow up and our parents like coddle you and do everything they can for you, right? Hopefully, maybe not. And then we become teenagers and you know what? Hey, students over there, you know what? It would be one of the most freeing things for you to realize those four words. It's not about you. It's not about you. Those are, some, those are four super clarifying, redefining, freeing words right there. It's not about me. So students, here's the deal. When you're in school and you got people that are ignoring you and you feel all by yourself or you go sit down at the lunch table and nobody seems to want to sit with you, you can say to yourself, it's not about me. And that's somehow freeing. It's not about me. You know, I think of myself, you know, sometimes I'm misunderstood. I know that's like hard to believe. Sometimes people like misunderstand my intentions, whether at work or at church or whatever, and they get mad at me. I don't understand it, but sometimes it happens at home. They, they, they like get mad at me and, and I, I really, I'm not trying to do anything harmful or malicious, but they get mad at me and they misunderstand why I might be doing what I'm doing. 
And so I can sit here and get all like all in my feelings and sit here and go and make this about me. But the reality is this, it's not about me. There are times I sit here and I say things from, from up here or I've had counseling sessions with people and I've sat down in front of somebody and I've said things that, that they didn't like. And you know what? It's hard when people are mad at you. But it's not about me. It's not about me. There's something so freeing about those words. It is not about me. We are a utterly depressed society. Everywhere you turn, people are battling with depression. Part of the reason for the depression is we've made it about me. Everything I see is a reflection or some indictment of me or some wrong done to me or some failure of me. So if I can grab hold of that right now, right here and now, it's not about me. There's something freeing about that. It's not about me. It's not about my failures. It's not about the ways I come up short. It's not about the fact that nothing I do is ever good enough. It's not about me. It's not about you. There's something so much bigger at work than me. It's bigger than me. So in that, as a follower of Christ, in Christ, what we're going to read as we read through Ephesians is we're going to sit here and keep going back to the fact, it's not about me. It's not. Ephesians 3, verse 1. If you've got a bulletin, it's listed on there. You can write notes on your paper as God speaks to you, or it'll be on the screen. Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. We're going to stop right there. He starts off this letter and he said, I, Paul, am a prisoner of who? Of Christ Jesus. Why does that matter? Paul recognizes right out of the gate, you know what? You know who put me in prison? Jesus. You know why I'm where I'm at? Jesus. He put me there. Now think about that in your situation right now. Make that personal. Where you're at, have you considered that you may be there because that's by God's design? Have you considered that? I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. See, what we find there is that Jesus, God put him there by design. Why? on behalf of you, the Gentiles. Have you considered that God may have put you where you're at on behalf of someone else, for someone else? Have you considered that miserable job that you're in that you find so unfulfilling that God may have put you there on behalf of someone else? Have you considered that in these circles of pain and suffering that you find yourself in or that God may have put you there on purpose 
on behalf of someone else? See, what Paul recognizes right out of the gate is it's not about me. Paul could have been so unbelievably frustrated and probably was at one point. He was probably going, you know what? I feel like my calling in life is to preach the gospel. I'm supposed to, he went from town to town preaching the gospel, telling people the good news. And you know what? It can't be God's plan that I'm locked up here in prison because then who's going to preach the good news? Because nobody does it with the zeal that I do it with. That's the deal. So how can this be part of God's plan? Well, what Paul realized is that God is sovereign. You know what that means? That everything has to go through him. That he has all authority, all control over all things. That means that no matter what evil there is in the world, they submit to his authority. Okay? Why? Because he conquered all. He conquered all. So in that, Paul's recognizing that I would not be in prison right now if it weren't for God's allowing me to be here. And he submitted to that. And instead of feeling sorry for himself and going, oh, woe is me, this is awful, I can't believe that I'm stuck here in this place, what he did is he goes, no, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of the Gentiles. You know why? Because the Gentiles, as we're gonna see in a little bit, Paul had a powerful place in what God's plan was for the Gentiles. You, where you find yourself, in the, in the place that you find yourself right here and right now, have you considered that it might be for someone else? It's not about you, right? In Christ, it's, it's not about you. In Christ, I no longer live for myself. It's for Christ who is at work in me. It's not about me. And we see it all the time. We see it in sports teams. You know, the Blue Springs Wildcat football team would not be the team that it is if their stars all were going, it's about me. It's about me. If Daniel Parker sat there on the line and said, you know what? It's about me, guys. It's about me. That's why all this crowd is here for me. It's about me. It's not about me. It's about the team in that case. But it's even bigger than the team. It's about God, what God's doing in the midst of all of that. Why he brought those players together. What influence Daniel Parker's gonna have on those teammates. That's why God gave him the gift that he has. That's why he has the talent that he has. That's why he has the influence he has. He needs to be responsible with that. As we're gonna see in a minute. So Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. The stewardship. You know what that means? I'm being responsible with what God has given me. I recognize that everything I have is God's. In Christ, I don't live for myself anymore. Everything I have is his. So now, therefore, I need to be a good steward of that. So you know what? Paul was given grace, and he was being a good steward of that. He was giving grace abundantly. You know, so like I said about Daniel, you know, Daniel's been given lots of massive gifts. I mean, he's good, and it's God-given ability. He's worked hard, but you know what? It's not about Daniel. It's about God. And it's about the the places that God's going to use Daniel 
and already has used Daniel. That's what it's about. And that's what it's going to be about all moving forward. And so the more, the more you recognize that now, the more free you will live. The more free you will live. Now, stewardship. You all, like Daniel, have been given great gifts. You've been given abilities. You've been given resource. You've been given all of these things that, that have been given by God. Are you being a good steward of them? Are you living a life that says, it's not about me? When people look at you, they go, you know what? I, I just see sacrifice. I see a life bigger than, than, than themselves. That's what I see. I see a life that, that, ma- that only makes sense because of God. I see somebody that, you know, when I look at it, I go, wow. That could only be God. So are you being a good steward of what God has given you? Are you using the resources? They're his. He gave them to you. So whether it's your money, when you look at your money and how you spend your money, is that, is that good stewardship? Does that say it's not about me? Does the way you spend your money say that? Does the way you use your gifts or you hoard them say it's not about me? It's not about me. Paul was a good steward. In verse 2 it says, he, Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. You know the only way you can perceive the insight of the mystery of Christ is if God allows you to. His Holy Spirit interprets and allows you to perceive it. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's the mystery. The mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Okay, we talked, Adam talked about this last week a little bit. We talk about division, right? We talk about how we're so divided as a country. We, there's so much division, it's unbelievable. Everywhere you turn, I mean, people are, are divided and, they're getting the, and, the, and the divide is getting worse. You know, and, and here's the thing, in this time, I want you to understand, Jews and Gentiles is not Democrat and Republican. And it'll help you to understand this because this is why this was so scandalous. What Paul just said right there, the mystery of the gospel that, that Jesus had revealed to him is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, partakers in the promise, part of the family. Do you know what that means? It's like Christianity versus Islam. The, the Jews looked at the Gentiles and said, they are terrible. They, they worship pagan gods. They don't worship the real God. They worship pagan gods. It was Christianity versus Islam. It isn't Democrat, Republican where there's good people on both sides. It's like mortal enemies in some ways. 
They didn't associate with them. It's like this. Back then there were lepers, okay? And, and the lepers, this is, this is kind of how it was portrayed, is that the lepers were like put and quarantined in a certain area because leprosy, there, was, there wasn't a cure for it. And, and leprosy, your body would just start, you'd lose body parts. It would just start eating away, okay? And they were considered unclean. So they were, that's why they were quarantined. They were like kept away from everybody. And so like when Paul, what Paul's saying here, Paul, a Jew, what Paul is saying is this, that the Gentiles are just like us in Christ, that they get full air, full share, full part. They are a part of us in Christ. They get to be with us. And that's like letting the lepers loose and let them walk through all of the people. That's what it felt like to the Jews at the time. It was a, a very, very scandalous thing that Paul just said. The mystery of this is that, is, is that God says, no, I'm not, I'm not about division. I'm about peace. I'm about uniting. And he brought the Gentiles into as heirs. That is the mystery of the gospel. We are all one in Christ. There is no division. There's no race, no color, no black, no white, no nothing. We are one. There's no one better than the other. This isn't, oh, we've got, we're stepson, stepdad, stepbrother. No, you're full heirs. It says you're adopted. You are my son is what he said. And it was super scandalous at that time. It was so scandalous that it's the reason that Paul got thrown in prison is his association with the Gentiles, his inclusion of the Gentiles. It was scandal. So Paul's saying that this mystery that no one before knew is that God was bringing the Gentiles in too. And it was a massive deal. So what that meant is that all these people that were considered less than, all these people that didn't make the cut, all these people that were, were not part of the end thing, the, the God that, that was all powerful that could save, they now, that's now accessible. That's what Paul was preaching. Moving on to verse seven. Of this gospel, I made a minister. I was made a minister. Paul was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Paul was made a minister. What were you made? By the grace given to you by God's power. It's just something you should consider. Again, if it's not about you, then you recognize that God put you there on purpose, by design. God made you what you are for his purpose, right? And in this case, Paul was a minister. What are you? Verse eight, to me, through I am, Paul is saying, though I am the very least of all the saints, he's recognizing that he is, he is the chief of all sinners. He is not somebody that is worthy or deserves. He's the, he says, I'm, I am the least. This grace was given to him to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And one of the things about that is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Is that how you lead in your conversation with people? 
Is that, is that when you're talking to people about Christ, do you, do you lead with the unsearchable riches of Christ? Is that how you lead in your conversation? Do you talk about the un- unending, you know, in Ephesians, we're going to find out next week that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Is that how you lead in your conversations? Is that, is that what, 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 what's the starting point of your conversation with people? Is the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what Paul was preaching to the Gentiles. The unsearchable riches, the good news that is way better than you could ever imagine. God's not counting your sins against you. All your mistakes, he's not counting them against you. Verse nine, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Verse 10, starting in verse 9, it's talking about, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, through us, we the church, the manifold wisdom, which means multicolored, multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Okay, so what does that mean? All right, what that means is this, that the church's responsibility, although it is to spread the gospel and evangelize people and to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, its other responsibility is this. The manifold wisdom of God, it's to point to and illustrate God's nature. That is the purpose of us, the church. We talk about God's renown as the ultimate place that we are, what we are going after as a church is God's renown, to increase his fame. But what we also know is that in, the, in that God's renown is that this is what it says, is that the church's responsibility is to illustrate to the point of God's nature, to what? To the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Okay, so what that means is this. It says that there that it was hidden, that God hid, has hidden from the angels, from the angels, the fallen angels, from the angels on high that are with him. They don't know what is going to happen. He hasn't like laid out the plan for them. They don't know when he's going to return again. They don't even know how this is all going to play out. What they get to see and how God shows them and how God reveals his nature to them, how God illustrates his nature to them is through the church, through us. Okay, so all the angels are watching the church, you, me, because God is using that to illustrate. I heard it said, I was doing some research on this, and and it said this, that God is the teacher, the universe is his classroom, the angels are the students, we are the illustration. God's manifold wisdom is the subject. So I want you to understand something. We are not the subject. We aren't. We are not the subject. It's not about us. What's happening is this, is that when God goes to point out his nature or to illustrate his nature to, play, to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, what he does is he points to the church. 
So what he does is he says, you know what? Here's my nature. I want you to understand my nature. And so like every illustration, an illustration is to what? Is to help you better understand or better see. It's a picture of what it is that I'm trying to explain to you. And so what happens in this and what the Bible verse is saying is that the church's responsibility, our responsibility, is to illustrate the nature of God. So what does that mean? What does that look like? So what happens is when there is nothing but division in this world and everybody is living self-consumed and self-absorbed, God points to his church and says, that's my nature. The sacrificial, selfless nature is on display right there. That is what it looks like. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to give you some examples here right now, okay? So when, when, when this world is full of not, no forgiveness and this world is full of sin and, and awful and all these fallen angels are going, you know what, I'm winning, we're winning. You know, we're winning this deal. We're gaining ground. Look at this mess of a place. God points to his church and goes, no, look, there's my nature winning out. How many know the name Dylan Roof? Dylan Roof, yep. Dylan Roof a few years ago in South Carolina, goes into a black church. He's a white guy. He goes into an all-black church, okay? And he sits down. He'd been going for a little bit. He sits down in there in that church and, and, and does a Bible study with these people for 45 minutes. And while they're praying, what does Dylan Roof do? Dylan Roof pulls out a gun and starts shooting them, killing them, killing them in a church. White guy killing black guys in a church. And you know what? That church illustrated God's nature in an unbelievable way. Those people that were a part of that church, that were a part of that horror, went to the prison and sat in front of him and said, we forgive you. We forgive you. They were pointing They were the illustration of God's forgiving nature. So when God looks and he says to the angels, that's what I'm about. That's who I am. That's my nature. Is I forgive even when the horrific is done to me. I have forgiven. That is my nature. You know, Las Vegas, bringing it closer to home in Las Vegas, we sit here and we see this happen. And and this guy gets there and starts shooting all these people. But you know what? God's nature was on display. It was illustrated in that moment. I heard a story about a woman who came and during that time laid on her brother, covering over her brother, hoping that the bullets would hit her because her brother didn't know Christ. And she did. And she recognized, it's not about me. She, gave, she was willing to give up her life for someone else. And God's like, that illustrates my nature. That is who I am. That is what I'm all about. So when God looks at us and looks at the church, he's pointing out the church as the illustration of who he is. So that the angels and the rulers and authorities in heavenly places can look and they can praise God. They praise God every single time 
his nature is on display in his church. The angels praise God. It's about his renown and his glory. So when we live as a church, not about us, and we live sacrificially, knowing that there's something at work bigger than us, and that our responsibility is to point to the nature of God, then what happens is people praise God. His renown increases. That is why we are here. That is what this is about. That's why you are in the place that you are in. It's for his renown. It's for while you sit here and endure hardship. And, and, and Mafalda was telling me last week she works in a hard place. There's lots, it's just lots of terrible people, not terrible people, but people that just are, are just lost. And you know what? God put her there on purpose to illustrate the nature of who God is. And the way she interacts with people illustrates the nature of who God is. You know, and I, I, I sit here and I look at the way that this church has responded over the years and, and, and how we've illustrated God's forgiveness and his redemption and his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Sound familiar? Fruit of the Spirit. It should stand to reason that those things would like come out, that our church would illustrate those things so beautifully because they are the fruit of his spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are all about God's nature. That's who he is. And we should illustrate them. So I sit here and I think about those things and I think about Stephen Leslie Spa and I go, you know what? What Stephen Leslie Spa are doing illustrates the nature of who God is. Absolutely illustrates the nature of who God is. I, I, I look at Dan Brown and I'm fascinated. I don't know if Dan's here. I'm fascinated by Dan. Dan Brown is a lawyer. Dan Brown is president of this church, okay? And he's a lawyer. He's been here from the beginning. And Dan Brown, whose job is to uphold the law and to fight for the law and to fight for justice, Dan illustrates God's nature over and over again. You know why? Dan goes up to the prison in St. Joe with the guys all the time. You know what Dan does? Dan, I've sat there and I've been at Lake Tapawingo and Dan's got this sweet house right out on this little like peninsula area. It's this house he wanted all growing up. Sees this house and, and it's, it's an awesome house. And you know what? I, I watched Dan Brown and his wife invite all of these guys that came out of prison convicts, felons, people that had been, and, and maybe people that Dan had to, you know, have a part in holding up justice. But Dan invites them into his home and invites them to like partake in all of the, the privilege and the blessing that God has given them. Dan loves them. Dan goes downtown and picks them up from the halfway house to bring them to church. Why? Because Dan realizes it's not about me. It's bigger than me. God's nature is on display. It's being illustrated in Dan's life. His redemptive nature is on display. His forgiving nature is on display. 
When we go to Peru and Jamaica, that's the thing. We are illustrating the nature of God. When we're building houses in a foreign country for people that we don't know, but that we know are in need, and we're bringing the gospel, the good news to them, and we're building these houses, the church is illustrating the nature of God. What does your life illustrate? Even in our biggest mess, when I say it's not about us, it's not about me, God's forgiveness, God's faithfulness, God's never letting me go is being illustrated through my mess. That's how amazing God is. That even when I fall so miserably short, the church illustrates God's nature, his redemptive, powerful, merciful, loving nature. So, as the band's gonna start to come, here's, here's the thing. Like I said, from the very beginning, it's not about you. And if you considered that where you're at in this time and place by God's sovereign authority and control, may be for someone else's benefit. And can you start to look like Paul did as a prisoner? Can you start to look at that and go, you know what, it's not about me and that God put me here for a purpose and I need to live in that purpose. I need to live in that purpose. I need to illustrate the nature of God. That is our chief goal and and aim is to illustrate God's nature. It's our responsibility. So as we, as we, as we consider that, here's, here's what I'm the call to commit. This is your call to commit for this week. Repent. Repent. Pray right now and go, God, I've made this about me and I'm sorry. I have made everything about me. I have interpreted everything about me. God, I am sorry. Help me not live that way anymore. Help me live for something bigger than that. Maybe it's you. You go, I, you know what? I heard right out of the gate the good news that God doesn't hold my sins against me in Christ. And I don't know him. But I want to. I want to know him. Not just want. I need to know him. I need to know the God that's not angry with me anymore. I need to know the God that in Christ I have relationship with that's not just gonna get me into heaven, but it's gonna get me to live a life bigger than myself. I need to know that, God. If that's you, there's gonna be people at the tables that you can come and pray with that can help walk through that with you. If it's you that needs to repent, maybe you need to come to the tables and you need to say, look, I need accountability because I've made this about me. And I need you to tell me and remind me it's not about you. Maybe it's you that you need to repent that you've not been a good steward with what God has given you. That you've been selfish and not sacrificial. And you look just like the world does. And God called you to look different. 
So in that, how do I live differently? So the band's gonna sing, I'm gonna pray. God, we, uh, we ask for your love. We ask for the piercing truth, the piercing of your Holy Spirit. God, cut right through all of the nonsense. God, cut through the spin, cut through the justification, cut through all the nonsense, cut through the self-loathing, cut through the, the, the victim status, cut through all of it, Lord. Pierce us where we belong. Pierce our heart and let us know the truth because the truth will set us free. God, forgive us for living a life self-consumed. God, help our story. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. God, that's what we want to be, a church that you can point to, to illustrate your nature, that you point to this place and go, you know what? Those people live for something bigger than themselves. They live to represent my nature, to illustrate my nature. And I am pleased with them. God, help us all to live that, that life worthy. We love you and pray in your name. Here's my challenge for you as we're leaving. Here's my challenge. I I challenge you to, to go home and to sit there and ask God to reveal what it is that needs to change in your life. Ask God to show you what it is that you've been living for yourself or that you've made about you. Ask God to reprioritize. Ask God to help you reconsider the, the reason that he has you in the place that he has you. Ask God to reveal himself in the midst of all of that and live a life that can only point to who God is. Live a life that points to God's nature. Be the church, the responsibility of the church to illustrate to the people that don't know Christ who God is and his nature. Tell them the good news. Invite your friends to come to church with you next week. Invite them to come. Take a risk. It's not about you. It's not about you. And so let it be the way you spend, the way you steward all that God has given you. Let it be said that it points to it's not about me. It's about him and his praise in the heavenly realms. Thanks for coming. Have a great week.